really thankful that you're with us today because I always like to start interviews out with a little acknowledgement. I have been watching you from afar and the work that you're doing and just like helping Filipino women come together. And I'm just really thankful for you. That means a lot. Oh, thank you, Helen. Really appreciate that. It's my joy and pleasure and deepest honor to do this work and have people even like follow it. Ah, So why don't you start by introducing yourself, what you do, what your passions are? Hi, everyone. I'm Crystal Bella. And I guess I'd like to start off by saying I am a 1.5 generation Filipina American who grew up in California and really just on that ever ongoing journey of coming back to your roots and really understanding the multiplicity of our identity. And by way of that, I have been able to lead a beautiful podcast community and I would call movement called Filipina on the Rise, which started three years ago. And it really seeks to tell the stories of Filipino women around the world who are making an impact, how they overcame adversity and broke ceilings and really wrestle with the cultural taboos in order for us to, to step into our power as Filipino women, to promote excellence in ourselves and to tell the world about us. I think there's something very powerful about finally remembering who we are through our stories and representation is so, so, so important. And so in that way, I, I believe I am a, a advocate and a storyteller. And other than that, I worked in tech for six years, recently pivoted full-time into the Philip Gather. I've been making this movement a full-time thing. So I'm really excited about that. Thank you, Helen, for having me. I'm so excited for you. With that, I didn't know that you pivoted to Filipina on the rise full time. That's a huge deal. Yeah. <laughs> How do you feel, so about feel that? like I'm falling at like 90 miles an hour and be like, what? but it's really exciting. It's kind of like one of those things that just it's time. It's time yeah. to like pivot mm-hmm. and go into like my passion full time. Yeah. Yeah. It was three years in the making and it just felt like a natural shift to just to, to actually say, I think this is deserving of calling it a full-time thing rather than just your passion just always be your side hustle. And I think I want to, to model that. Can you tell the story about how you started Filipina on the Rise? How yeah. that even started? I always like to tell the story by prefacing it with a fact and irony that I moved here at eight years old and was always pretty disconnected, I would say, from Filipino heritage and identity. We call ourselves Filipino, but never are taught to know what that means, right? And so most of my upbringing was being aware of Filipino culture with the food that we ate, with my skin, and with my community, but never feeling proud about it. And looking back, I really wanted to assimilate. I saw, I think I had a lot of internalized white supremacy it's for most of my life and I'm still on programming and so I pushed away that part of my identity I thought it was tacky I didn't know what being Filipino meant and so that really was most of my life in college I was always trying to be in like the white spaces being a white sorority and that that shifted when I for that's another reason but I started uncovering activism and, and understanding the struggles of historically unrepresented groups and just that created way for my own discovery. Well, what this started was when I moved to San Francisco, 
after I graduated from the University of California, San Diego. And I was working in tech, which is already a male-dominated industry. And, and up until this point, it's interesting because the Bay Area has such an abundance and community of Filipino people and Filipino women, entrepreneurs, creative. But I didn't know that. I just kept seeing not me and not my face. I didn't say this. And I remember one day, I don't know what it was, but I was just feeling extremely in need. You ever have one of those moments in need of just feeling like seen and that like you're not crazy for kind of feeling in the margins all the time. And whether it was the fact that I was being talked over or overlooked at work or just not moving up fast enough or or just powerless. It was probably powerless because at the same time I was going through a really disempowering relationship with all that. And I don't know what it was. I was in a ride back home and I listened to so many like stories about empowering women and women of color and Asian American women and, and letting that juice me up. And I was attaching myself to other, either like community of color for some reason. But for mm-hmm. some reason that day, that day, I was looking for stories of like Filipino women, empowering Filipino women. And I was typing it up and I went on like YouTube and I was like stories of successful Filipino women. And then there was nothing. And then like, okay, let's go on Google and some Filipino woman. And, and that just brings up all these other things about like dating websites and rides and whatever. And then I went on, on podcast, which is where I get most of my media from. And when I searched it up, there was absolutely nothing. And I remember this feeling, this like panic actually coming, arising up in me. And I'll tell you actually when I look back what that was, but panic and like kind of like freaking out coming up. And then finally, I remember like it was either on YouTube or like Google or something. I like looked up Filipino women and it was like, why did Filipino women make great rides to bring home? And and just a lot of these like searching websites, like like just dating Filipino women and and a lot of the fetishization of it and a lot of these like the representations of us as like you're object, objectified and like your sex mm. toy that you can bring back home and all that stuff. And I'm like, this cannot be like, how, how is this still happening? How is this the first thing that you pull up? And I remember like a, a almost like a real a flashback moment of every moment of my life where I, I was telling myself that this didn't matter and I didn't care about my and representation and I pushed it away and all those moments just added up to the, this like specific moment in this Uber ride of how it's like I like this is a matter so much and we need other stories out there of us so much like there's such a gap and it's like harming us and it it's creating a story out there that is just objectifying us and and like I remember in that moment feeling like so, so disappointed and really discouraged and like defeated, but in a flicker being like, okay, if these stories aren't there, 
and I'm in need of them, I know that other people are going to need it too. And I just know, I know, I know that there are very successful and powerful Filipinos in a variety and diversity of industries who are shattering ceilings, who have overcome all these, all these like levels of misrepresentation and stereotypes and cultural barriers and stuff and are probably crushing it. And I need to find stories and tell them. If not, if it's not going to like reach the millions, it's going to help me. And if it helps me, I know it's going to help another person. And I kind of made it a very, like, I just, I felt it in that moment. I was like, I, I'm going to do this if, if I die trying. And it kind of like organically unfolded from there in terms of just finding the one person that I needed to bring an interview who ended up being this amazing person who's my mentor. And I felt her on this like networking app. <laughs> it was kind of like this dating networking thing who she was like a top criminal defense attorney in the Bay Area. And she, I remember her saying, like, when we met up, she's like, you need to do this. This is important. And I believe in it. And I, that was done with everything to me. And that, those first few episodes really actually tore the veil for one, the abundance of Filipino women in the Bay Area who were people I've been looking for all my life and just had wrong assumptions about my community, that we were just in healthcare, that we just wanted to stay in stable careers, that we were just fine being like the quiet, don't shake up or don't rock the boat members of society that really like challenged everything I believed about every assumption I had about what we were capable of. I found so many people like in the Bay Area and beyond because of the podcast. And then second, it made it made, it made me find a community of other women who were looking for these stories all of their life. So it became more than just about me. And then third, I think it helped me see really that this is just more than like more than the stories of feeling empowered and stuff. It's made me see like we have so much like decolonizing work that we have to do when we look at why, why we have been like put in these like systems, whether it's like model minority myths or the roles that we play because we grew up just being expected to play that. Why we play small, but now how do we step up and play big and just continuously like it's an ongoing journey of our identities that I think like it's it, it, it's, our, it's a lifelong thing right so that's how it all started now we are it's a global community and we are going at the tens of thousands of followers and listeners and I just believe that we're getting we're just getting started wow and I'm really excited about that can I say that a part of me was getting so like my soul I see myself in your story because I think that I'm also 1.5 generation Filipina immigrated here at five, turning six years old. And there's a turning point in your story. It almost seems like the hero's journey when you're in that Uber ride and you acknowledge that you're in these white spaces. It's all white spaces and you want to become like them. And but you so desperately know that you are you for a reason. And that idea like struck, what, what catalyzed you to keep going? Because yeah. there was a part of you that assumed that there was no one else like you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was the endeavor 
to fight the reality of like isolation and the pain of invisibility. Mm-hmm. I think I think what really struck me in the moment was that, and it's a true pain that that's what I think a lot of people can relate. It doesn't matter if you're anyway, like Filipino, especially if you're part of a historically unrepresented group. Invisibility is is a like it oppresses us. All I gotta say, it, it just not seeing ourselves out there when uh, for our whole life we've been seeing other like faces like that takes an effect on you i want to bring that to the center of the conversation because people are well why why does it matter why is not because representation matters why does representation matter because if you're not being represented you're having your stories told for you you're being told that you're an object you're being told that you're a male order bride you're being told that because of the color of your skin you're not deemed as beautiful as other even in 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 a racial group or whatever and I like what you said, Helen, when you're like, it's like that turning point for you where you realize it didn't matter because it's so, it's so like really telling that in that moment, like, I was like, I don't, I don't care about my sister. I don't care about this and that. I could just, it's that like a, a dodge of like, don't, don't victimize yourself. Mm. Work really hard all the way to the top. Mm. That's what people tell you. That's what, you know. But it, exactly, it's like, don't, don't like, just don't think about your identity too much. Like, yeah, sure, there's some truth to not letting yourself feel so defeated about these systems. But isn't it telling that in that moment, I was like naturally looking for stories about my, my ethnic heritage and who I was and, and that all these things have always mattered. It's in our blood and it's in, it's just, it's who we are and we can't fight that. And it's why every single woman that I talk to at events or listeners who give, the story is all the same. I grew up not caring about this. I never fit in. I grew up around mostly white spaces. I just never cared about it until now. And I realized it does matter. And I want to discover more until now when I am a mom and I realize like, I want to pass these on to my children. And I'm really sad that I never had this growing up. And it, it's, it, it's like you can't run away from yourself and you can't run away from how these systems of representation and power have really like affected you mm. your whole life and have shaped how we show up in this world. And looking at it in like a disempowering way, I say that my biggest thing is like if someone is not telling, if you're not telling your story, someone is telling it for you. If you're not shaping your narrative, someone is, someone is shaping your narrative for you. and then using it in their own power. Again, I don't want me to take away from this, but I think that this is why talking about toxic masculinity and learning in general and and there's a power play in that is really important because then it puts us in the in the empowering role again to be like, oh now I can take my power back by by forming the narrative and by by knowing myself. And and that is totally what I encourage through all of this. It's not about being like defeated. It's about like how exciting is it that we have the power to play and the power to to just completely like sh- change history, past and present by like knowing ourselves and, and just rewriting the, the narratives that which have been impressing us are yeah. forever. I think it's almost like right person, right place, right time, because yeah. we're in an age right now where we actually have the ability to share our stories. The podcasting platform has shifted where that we you don't have to be picked up by a network 
to choose mm. what your narrative is going to look like or what's going to be written about you. And yep. you said something that I wrote down. You said at some point you need to realize that you can't run away from yourself. And you mentioned that in the context of I've heard the same women, Filipino women, say the same story. I've always been in white spaces. I, I neglected my culture. I minimized it until I couldn't anymore. And I think that Filipino women, we've touched on this a little bit on the show where we get objectified, we get labeled as the good wife or the best person to marry, and that we're always in healthcare. And I think one of my observations about you is like, you pursue that which is like a big myth. Like, is this true? Mm. Is this really the case for a lot of people? And I listened to the interview you did with the, you've interviewed so many famous Filipino women who just represent like the diversity within like Philippines. Filipino yeah. women aren't just nurses. They're not just healthcare workers. Yeah. And out of all the women that you've interviewed, like, can you give me three big lessons that you've learned in being surrounded by them and learning from them? Ugh. Yeah, I feel like I need to get better with this answer, but <laughs> it kind of changes throughout seasons, right? Yeah. Three big lessons that I've learned. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I think that when I reflect on all the women that I've interviewed, I see three common themes that can serve as lesson, whether it be how they were successful or what made them do what they do or what were common struggles that we all overcame. And one being that there was always, there's always like, at the end of the day, you have to be the person telling yourself that you are deserving of the said career or role that you want to be in. Because we grow up really with so many like different cultural expectations, different like stories being told about us for us and at the end of the day it comes down to you and yourself like championing championing your dream and your passion and I've had to practice this with myself so many times like I am deserving of my dreams I'm deserving of my wildest dream I'm deserving to go for this promotion I'm deserving to run for election I am deserving of this life because everything else will tell you that you're not and that is really the like very most important crossroads that you're going to be at in terms of like leveling up. And whether that be like Javel deciding to open her own practice, which ended up being the top criminal defense practice in the Bay Area, all female. In the very beginning, she was like getting like the door shut on her and like this, like, who do you think you are? Like um, that, that posture syndrome oh. is really fought with you telling yourself and giving yourself just enough of those like wins and supporting roles and people in your life to tell to remind you like I am deserving of this if not of that I'm deserving to go after this and I, I've had to tell myself that also when I keep pursuing building the podcast and movement because it can get so are these am I in over my head we have those moments. Am I in over my head? And the scariest, when people ask me like, what, what is my biggest fear? Is that I get through all of this and I strive and I try to build it. And at the end of the day, 
it, it all falls or something like it's craving it to be that but it all falls apart and then you're kind of like met with like oh you were just dreaming a crazy dream go back in your lane right but we but and that, that lane is so it's such a myth but it controls us for most of our life so i feel like when i look at all these women it had to be everyone being out of their lane so willfully so tactically but so like with a personal with a personal encouragement that like i'm deserving to step out of this lane because i I know that I belong here and I deserve to be there. And another theme that I see is that everyone was successful in their journeys because of either one or a few people that they really attached themselves to mm-hmm. that believed in that like next leveling version of them, because that's really important because you're always going to be in that questioning and doubtful mode of like where you're going and who you spent. Like when you attach yourself to a person or a community who is basically like, reinforcing that that in you it's really like pivotal i remember christina rodolfo she said she so she was the past beauty director of women's health magazine and she was constantly in so many like women's spaces and l magazine and in all these like editorial roles but she was mostly in like rooms with white women and she constantly had to be like putting her foot down being the voice that that would like challenge people like why are we only using these colors why are we only bringing in these like articles and stuff like wow. and being that challenging voice and i'm so thankful for people like her who like decided to step out and be that but but i think she had that foundation of of having grown up in like a lot of like empowering like filipino women cohort college clubs which i didn't have but the beauty of her being in a powerful role that she was in in these like big mm-hmm. magazines is that she started pulling up like other Filipino women and she started like trying to hire other interns. Like, like that is like the cycle. That's what we have to do. Uh, Alyssa Navarro, who is a Disney producer and she's in, you know, in one of their biggest like programs at Disney. She said she was one person who started out a very like, I guess, bottom ladder role as she determined it. But then she had one person in, Disney who really believed in her but she said it wasn't that person necessarily that took her up it was that she had to keep on advocating for herself to be in the role so that comes with my third point I think like a lesson I learned from these episodes is like you really have to advocate for what you want and not depend on someone finally seeing you finally noticing you finally getting your hard work and your meritocracy is such a freaking myth and this yeah <laughs> and I really learned that, like, she gives a beautiful example of, like, her way going up in Disney was because she had the audacity to be like, I want to take charge of this project. I, I want to apply myself to this role and constantly having to be that. Because when I look back, when I worked, I, I worked in a tech company for like four years. And I really believe that if I worked hard enough, that the executives who I work under for so long and supported for so long would finally like promote me to these levels x y and z but i watched as so many other like like male or like white male and women i i I don't mean to to just assume that that's what happened but i did notice that like at really like level up a little faster than me or those that looked like the traditional leaders like level up faster than me and when i look back i could have been like why why like why didn't they like oh it's because i was like a woman but i i I, I think that we could be advocating for ourselves more 
having the audacity to say to 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 like to just take charge. And those three lessons I think are really important for anyone. You don't have to be Filipino to relate to that, right? To to really desert them one. Two, to surround yourself with people that are in that next level that you you want to be in because you are who you mm-hmm. surround yourself with. Iron sharpens iron. And that's really important when we're fighting limiting beliefs and doubts all the time in our head. Second is that you have to advocate for yourself in the spaces that you're in constantly. And third, be deserving of your wildest dreams. Tell yourself that you are deserving of that. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of things that I want to notice about what you said. You talked about how important it was to acknowledge the systems that we're a part of. But I think what you do well is that you provide action behind it because the theme of this season is not just acknowledging that toxic masculinity exists, but the things that you can do actionably as a woman who is also a first, like for 1.5 gen who grew up in this country, like you can learn to advocate for yourself. Like it's okay to speak up. It's okay to say something. I also want to acknowledge like you're a pioneer in this industry because advocacy within the podcasting and media space and representing Filipina women is really difficult because there's never been another example of you. There is an Oprah, there is a Barbara Walters, but there's not another like Crystal Fabella. And with that question, there are probably women listening to the story who have never seen themselves in other people's narratives where they probably want to be where you are but the more you succeed the less people come with you right Mm. and that in that journey of pioneership of paving the way for other women who who might some people might be listening to this might also be filipina what advice would you have for them in in staying the course and staying the path and, and not veering away out of fear Oh, man. Thank you for this question. Yeah. Thank you, because you're acknowledging, I think, a very present, like, season that I'm going through. Hmm. Being a pioneer is, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll receive and claim that term. Thank you. Yeah. And it's such such an honor to be able to pioneer something. But with that, I can, you, you, you paint alone a lot. It doesn't mean that I'm alone, but there's no... You're, you're building something that you can't see constantly. Yes. And you're, you're building it with the eyes that you have to create for yourself constantly. And How do you do that? How do you create KPIs <laughs> for yourself? And can you explain what KPI is for people who don't know? Key performance indicators. And it's basically like a metric of success. When like businesses or startups are growing, they kind of come together at the table and say, all right, well, we want to get here. Mm. But what are some measurements of success that know that we're on track to get there? Right. (laughs) So you want to hit your sales goals and some KPIs would be like, you're making enough calls that we, again, you're, you're making X amount of like deals, closing these deals and stuff. So I'm a pioneer. And it's a visionary as an entrepreneur, like building some, that, that is what I actually define an entrepreneur as you are, uh, you are who is building something to impact a lot of people and building something that isn't there. Yeah. You can't think. Yeah. Uh, 
And, and so when I look at my vision, which if I could share this with you, people are like, what's the biggest goal? What's the vision? I see a future where not just Filipino women, but let's say like, yes, my community, we have a, a, a really strong media outlets and resource that we can come to and really engage and feel seen and, and see stories of success and get plugged in a network and that this the blueprint can be replicated for like South Asian women, Southeast Asian women, that we have like a powerful representation of ourselves that have other people and pictures be, no, seeing who we are, whether that's through podcasting or online shows or magazines or things like that or talk mm. shows, things like that. Yeah. And when I when I think about this journey and pioneering, it is it, it is isolating sometimes. And day in, day out, I have to really like you have to motivate yourself. And the way that I, I measure like my success is that it has to be like it has to be very material. Like for example, I, I have different events that I put on month to month and mm-hmm. they're like podcast road shows, road shows and and we have a marketplace of creators and vendors who are all entrepreneurs and they're all female. And, and I, I see that as a measurement of success that I put on these events and a lot of women gather. That tells me that people are wanting these spaces. Yeah. I see a measurement of success being that like when I, I build the Filipina Soul Sister membership, which is a monthly membership that we have weekly calls and, and networking learning about our histories together that women are showing up whether that means 10 to 50 people and I see that as a measurement of success I think the KPIs have to just be that you're doing it Hmm. and people are showing up meaningfully because I'm so tired of numbers meaning everything wow because that's gonna we're so obsessed with like quantitative quantity especially with like mass following and going viral and that can't be your KPI, especially if you are a visionary and a pioneer. Set up markers for yourself where you feel like people are just showing up and connecting to what you're bringing meaningfully. And then you have to define what meaningfully means to you. For me, it means, it means that people are coming and saying, like, this has touched my life and basically telling me, like, I felt this, I relate to it, and please, like, please treat keep creating more of this because I, at the end of the day, then it doesn't matter that I don't have a hundred thousand people, but I had 80 people showing up to this event and saying how mm-hmm. much this podcast affected their career. That's meaningful to me. And then meaningful can mean that it's making you feel alive and you, it's like making you feel like purposeful and seen in what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Crystal, how do you continue to unlearn like internal colonization and things like yeah. toxic masculinity and seeing yourself as less now that you're doing this full time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I have so many opportunities now to practice that every day and everything, <laughs> especially as like going full time and building your own business, especially now because I'm about to like start pitching to potential partners and investors and sponsors. And it is, it's such, it like, all the layers are there of like, oh my gosh, like Mm. I feel it all the time in terms of like wanting to play small and like they're not going to take me seriously. Taking 
every opportunity to notice, right? Because it could be so hard to be like, I'm going to dismantle this, I'm going to change. I think decolonization and stepping into your power and breaking down the effects and oppressive things about maybe comes with like noticing and and kind of like being curious and questioning and mm-hmm. and being gentle with yourself in the process. I will give it an example. I was meeting recently with a mentor of mine who was helping me come up with a pitch deck and and looking at what my pitch is and what my numbers are and what I'm I'm asking for. And he was just very like, you you you're like, you should go for this. Just go, go act bigger. Like, don't, don't like you're, you're, you're putting too much out. Like you're putting too much information out there. Ask for the meeting. Just go up and like, tell them who you are. And as he was saying this, I felt myself like, like feeling so like I couldn't do it. I was like, you don't understand. Like you're, you're a guy. Like, I, I feel like I have to show my numbers. I have to like put on like the pretty face and then have to like come up with a colorful thing. Like I looked at the email that he wanted me to send and it was so like, straight into the point. I, I was battling all these things within me saying like, no, play up more of your coming and said, no, like go for the ass. Like, no, what's wrong with you? Why can't you just be personal? No, but if you're too personal, like all these things come up and like, I noticed myself like backspacing all the time. So to reframe something because I'm like, be feminine, no be feminine. Like all, like, wow. It's it's just so, it's so like in these little moments that you had to like notice and like noticing the tendency to play small, noticing why these things are making you feel uncomfortable. I, I remember talking to another male mentor of mine who was who was white and looking at another like white mentor of mine who's a woman and looking at the prices that I had for my membership and for this NFT collection that I just launched and saying and I'm looking at the subscription model that I had and they're like, you're charging so small. You need to charge higher for X, Y, and Z. And I, I just noticed like that triggered me because I was like, well, I want this to be accessible to my community, but like, but am I being, am I being small now? But no, like I, I want to like make sure that I don't feel failure because it's too expensive and people like all these things like are just coming up like these triggers of the bigger picture of it was that I'm generally really triggered by all these expectations and these like advice to to do this and, and to play bigger in this way and oh that really hurts because most of my life I've been told to play it safe and wow. I'm making my business like this because I care about my community having access but I also care about like myself feeling like feeling safe and stuff and so I I don't have the answer for like how to, how to decolonize and and maybe and stuff but I, I do want to invite people to just notice like all these triggers coming up instead of trying to solve it and be like, wow, all of this is really triggering. And that makes sense because for most of my life, I've been told that I have to play it this way in order to be successful. Mm. And there's no, there's no right answer to how to like start deconstructing it. But there is, I encourage people in the path of awareness and consciousness about that and, and saying like, oh, but that makes sense that I'm feeling this way because X, Y, and Z. And in, in terms of like mental health, I think that really relates to like how we, we get through things, right? Instead of applying a solution and really holding it all in and being like, damn, I felt all those triggers because I've 
unfortunately, like I can't just jump to that mindset of a man right now. I can't jump. And I had this one guy, he's like, you have the same amount of hours in the day. Just do it. Just, I, I did it. You can do it. And I'm like, yeah, I can do it. And I go back to my thing. And I'm like, what the hell? Like that doesn't work for me. Like that, I was so insulting for him to say like, we have the same amount of hours in the day. I'm like, but you don't have the same trauma as I do. Mm-hmm. You don't have the same, like you don't have the same history of like, of what like oppression has done to my psyche as I do. And I'm not trying to make people feel defeated, but like, I just think they need to acknowledge that we're not in the same playing field. And so hold space for yourself for that and acknowledge like you are, you're like, that's why it feels different and it's okay. And just be gentle about it. Just be curious. Just curious about all of that. There's something that you said that immediately perked my ears. You talked about playing small and how as women, especially women of color, Asian women, we tend to make ourselves smaller to be pleasant, to stay safe, to not rock the boat. Can you speak more on that? Like what you've noticed in interviews about playing safe and, and how we can start to get better about that? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that first stems from like our conditioning of like of pleasing, people pleasing and putting up on performance because that gets us act and it has. And playing small, it it's something that has made us feel growing up. If you're, let's say, like if you're from a family of this, then we get into this country, we assimilate kind of know our place and we're kind of told like you know keep your head down and and work hard and so that's just one part of it and then playing small has just been like our way to navigate successfully sometimes like oh if you look you if you aren't like the angry loud girl if you are docile people like you more when you're liked more you get through a lot easier it's and, and we see that these only go on for so long, that these only work to our favor for so long until it hits like this. It hits that limit mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, that only got me so far and now it's not working anymore. Mm-hmm. And then later in our life, we get to find a way how to like, how to not use the tool that we've been holding on to for so long that it's mm-hmm. not working anymore. It's just, it's, it's only, it's like limiting ourselves so much. And I would like, I'm even curious with you, like how you continue to find yourself playing small in the day to day when we're like in the mindset of like, okay, I'm going to play big. I literally on my, my like fridge, I had like, okay, it's tactically bigger. No more playing small, like play to win, not to, not to not lose. I'm telling myself that over and over again. However, like I, I find myself using like kind of defaulting back to like, um, just be a little bit more palatable for people. Be a little bit more like, oh, we like her, so we're going to keep her close. And, and I don't know how to like fight that with a whole, I'm just going to be loud and like tell you what happened, whatever, because I'm not like that. We're not like, we're just not like that. But I think, I think I have to always like in these moments, like notice, like stop myself from being like, oh, I'm, I'm playing small right now. Okay. Okay. Well, how do I, how do I like give myself back power in a, an authentic way in this situation? Creating a boundary, saying, curating what your needs are is really hard for us. It's really hard for us to say, 
our needs and something I'm practicing more and more in terms of like combating playing smaller and people pleasing and performing all the P's, perfectionism is before going into anywhere, any meeting, anything, any interaction, any social setting, any whatever, where the tendency by default will probably be to try to be liked and to try to like, to try to like be, to try to fit or to try to like be pleasant and stuff. Just really like sitting with yourself and you could practice this like by being in, in like when you're sitting in the car like, before you're going on a big meeting, before going into the party, before X, Y, and Z being like, what are my needs? And this is so uncomfortable, so uncomfortable <laughs> to even do. It's the most simple practice that I noticed. It's so hard to do to just sit and be like, what do I want? And just letting yourself sit with that because we're not taught to ask ourselves that question in the most raw, internal, grace-giving, like, I deserve to ask myself this question way. What do I actually want from it? That's it. And start with there. And it, it, like, trust me, like, anyone who's listening, it sounds so simple. I'm like, oh, yeah, like that. Like, no, if you really sit with that question, you might start, like, sometimes I face the challenge of being like, oh, my God, I don't know what I want. Oh, my gosh. And then, like, maybe you might find yourself being like, oh, I want to. You're envisioning, like, how you're going to fit in, how you're going to like play up to their ideals. I'm like, oh my gosh, mm. it's still like the, the internalized, whatever is still in me. And like sit with that question and you're going to see like by gifting yourself that question every day, oh man, like that's a new form of self-love. That is a new form of, of dismantling the systems that have been in us for so long that have made us to default to catering and fitting other people's needs first and you're gonna really start like like that is a, a really like i would say actual way to start deep colonizing <laughs> and um, yeah yeah disarming all that all, all the the, the roles that have been given to us when you asked me that question i'm curious what you do that question terrifies me <laughs> because it means that i actually have to ask myself what i want it wasn't until I started working at Yellow Chair that I realized how much anxiety I had to perform because Yellow Chair is largely like an Asian American private practice. And there's something about being with people who are like-minded, who are like you, that almost makes you realize that like you're a fish in water and that the water that you used to be in wasn't always healthy because you you talked about that. Like, I, I, want, I want to be liked. I want to be seen. And this is what I need to do. To be liked, I can't rock the boat. I can't be one of those loud girls. I can't be aggressive. I can't be the one that talks about like anti-oppressive systems. And you have done your own work, which I think is is hard because there are pr- people listening to this that are probably thinking like, man, I want to do something outside of my own job, but I've been taught my entire life that I can't do anything outside of nursing or I can't do anything outside of the medical field. It took you about three years to finally do this full time and you've worked in tech for a while and you were in largely like a male space. How did you continue to build that legacy on the side while also working full time? Yeah, I think I was really lucky to to leverage that looking back, people are like, oh, here's here's what'll work. You should X, Y, and Z do this. But like it was very intuitive for me in the beginning to 
to hold on to my like full time and not see it as a a bad and like disempowering thing and thing I hated in my life to like to really like embrace the full time role in corporate tech that I had and and see it as a as a it's like a there was a supporting role mm. in all of this right in building my dream whatever you want to call it and so I think something that I'll share funny but as I was building like looking on their eyes and it's like the podcast and then the business behind it I was mostly just I had been investing most of my own money into it and bundling a lot of like in my full time my salary oh, cool. and my my paycheck into it yeah and I would tell people, dude, we're like, oh, how are you like funding this? Like, do you have investors? And I was like, yeah, I have investors. I have a whole board. And I would say like the, the CEO of the company I was working with was one of my investors. <laughs> Having that mindset of like, and like, I feel like it's a mindset thing too. Of, That's so hey, good. Like, if there's something on the side that you want to build, shift your mindset a little and be like, oh yeah, this, my, my company is funding this. Or my, this is. And like, it starts to become more empowering. It doesn't become this thing that like you're going in day to day that's like taking away from your life, but it's almost like it's like partnering with your passion. And it it was really like, yeah, it it was very pragmatic for me to, to do that and to have that mindset in order for me to like still succeed in my work day to day. And then, and then like see, see that like your side passion or hustle like build it on the side and be okay with that and be okay with starting small because you don't want to put all the pressure in right. it to have all these like measurements of success mm-hmm. because in the beginning you shouldn't be worrying about if people are extras or if you're making excellent money you're just you're just concerned that you're building something great and that like that you're having joy from and that you're it's connecting with people meaningfully that 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 is what you should worry about in the beginning and then and then letting things organically like build. It's it's almost like it starts to shift this way. Like this, the passion was here and putting my hand down lower. And then you're like full-time, whatever that is. It doesn't even have to be in healthcare. It could just be like something that you is taking up most of your life day to day. And it starts like going like this and shifting until you're just ready to like really take on a full-time. And that, that is really, I think, most of the entrepreneur's journey of people pivoting. Yeah. What I love about the way that you see your former job is you're not tied to like a career, you're tied to a lifestyle. And I think that like, for me, this is something that I'm personally learning to unlearn. I thought for me to become someone important, I had to have a career. And what I'm learning now that I talk to you and other entrepreneurs and people who have been in this space for a while, it's that they're not seeking to be known for what they did but who they were and the embodiment of what I'm hearing you talk about is like great entrepreneurship is sticking with the message. Even if you don't get paid for it in the beginning, yeah. that so much of the toxic entity model is you need to make a lot of money, be a person of importance and have a lot of success, yeah. but you don't really yeah. see it that way. You're like, I want to help people. What would you say to someone who, who has a similar dream. Yeah, yeah. I want to say first that, oh man, it can get so, so tempting to make the first markers of success about numbers and money. It's what's out there. It's what's flashed the most. And 
it what it's what gives us the most instant gratification. But I promise you, it is it's short term, and things that go up just as fast go down. You you need deeper foundations. This is something I'm also realizing in real time. And thank you for asking this question too, because this I'm in a season where I'm like, oh my gosh, like, but all the you know, like look at this big thing over here, this influencer. But like reminding myself, like get build really strong foundations, get deeply rooted, be really, really rooted in what you're building and, and know your why. And because, because that is how you really build something good, for, like great versus good. And, mm. and one of my biggest like people that I look up to and a role model who's actually, he wrote a book called From Good to Great. Have you heard of Jim Collins? Jim Collins. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So he's an author, like a, like a, the CEO of his own company and his teacher and all that stuff. And he studied, him and his like team really studied all the most successful leaders of companies and, and really broke down like what companies, like if they had similar product ideas and same timelines, same strategies, same like whatever, what was the distinguishing factor uh, the ones that made it and that didn't, the ones that built something good and the ones that were excellent and just took off. And what are the leaders like? And this is so fascinating because I think like we all want to know that. Like, yeah. what did they do right? And his findings were so mind-blowing to me. And I'm going to share it right now because I was just listening to this conversation about this in a podcast with Tim Ferriss. And he said it's about the leaders of course, you have all the tactical stuff. You have the right business strategies, the right models, the right consistency, the right blah, 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 like. But it was never about the strategy. Yeah, the luck of timing and people that that all goes into that. But when you look at the leaders themselves that were from that were actually great versus good, is that the leaders had a profound sense of humility wow. in their work, which is not just about being humble, right? Either. It wasn't just about like, oh, like stay humble and stay happy, whatever. It was like that these leaders had this sustained humility in what they were building in that what they were doing, they really believed it was bigger than themselves. And that served as such strong foundation to them building a great starting team, a great model, a great company, or a great movement that kept like, like learning from failure, building other great leaders up and that can't be like, that can't be learned. Like they can't just be like, if we come up with a good like plan and whatever, that is a heart issue. Think about it, that's a character thing. Hmm. And so I, I strive for that every day. And I remind myself for that. It's not about like, like measuring success based off of how we look on the surface. It's like, how am I being this kind of leader? How am I like rooting myself in these kind of principles and these pillars that other leaders had. So I really encourage other people who want to like, who want to do this kind of thing. Like if, if you're really going to like dive into your dream, like not even the business, but like the lifestyle and the kind of impact that you want to have, remember, like root yourself in these kind of principles first. And that's kind of like what distinguishes you from building something that is just like great and flashy for a minute and then something that'll last and gives you like, gives you a legacy. Ooh, that was so good because I hear you. The only way to unlearn these systems is to stop believing those voices that you hear. Yeah. But to really do a heart check of, yes, 
what is my character? Am I embodying Mm -hmm. the change that I want to see in the world? And is my dream like a reflection of where my heart is? Because you said earlier, like iron sharpens iron, like you need to be of the same mold and the same like brass character to be sharpened and to keep going. And I think we answered like... I've I've done a couple of interviews already about toxic. <laughs> I think that our interview is showing me and I'm getting emotional about it. It's that like we search the stars for meaning and we mm-hmm. search the stars to give us an example. But you are the embodiment of someone who's who's becoming what they need to be. And I think that what I'm learning from you is That's that you don't need to find someone to fulfill your dream. You need to be your dream. Yeah. And that, yeah. that's how you do that. And wow. So yeah. grateful. Thank you so much. Like that made me so emotional to hear that. I received that was really such a gift to hear. Thank you. I don't want to add on to any more of that because I really like appreciate those words. And it sounds so simple, but you there's something so just powerful about like looking at yourself in the mirror and starting there every day. <laughs> Yeah. I'm a let you and, and whoever really interpret that in your own personal way, however you need to, however your soul is telling you. Look at yourself in the mirror every single day and appreciate you for who you are. Yeah. yeah. If someone's yeah. listening to this crystal and they are just feeling like they can't see themselves outside of the opinions of others, I guess this is our closing question. What advice would you give them? Man, I mean, that... <laughs> That was a challenge I think I've grown up with my whole life. And I'm sure others can relate to that. And yeah. And like, like pe- people don't really see you. And then in turn, you're like struggling to see yourself. I think my piece of advice would be, first of all, I think deep down, we like, I always call it like the, the something that really changed my life during 2020. I had a moment with myself where I was just beating myself down so much. Like, why aren't you X, Y, Z? I heard you performing at this. Why aren't you doing that? Like just going down that spiral. I feel that. And then, yeah, I've been there. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It it happened so seasonally that, and then I remember hearing the voice within and everyone calls it like the higher self, your, your intuition. But I named her and it's something that I want to like give to everybody. I call it like deep down inside of us, there's a self that really loves us. There's like a self that really, really loves us. And I remember writing this down and countering all these defeating, just bullying voices in my head that I was hearing. I remember hearing like, what does the self that really, really loves you say right now? Just going back to that. And then I heard and when you ask yourself these questions, when I did, you just hear the most beautiful thing ever. You just hear the most grace-giving thing ever. And I, I, the reason I use that term versus like the high self, which is also powerful. And like, because even that can seem kind of abstract sometimes and just about success or being big and being like, sometimes we just don't, like not everybody wants that. <laughs> but it's like, what we need is like love, compassion for ourselves, right? On day to day. And so... To answer your question on the advice of like when people are, it's hard to see ourselves and it's hard for other people to see us. Just remember that who's someone who sees you is actually like this person that's inside of yourself all along. 
And he and she, he or she is the self that really, really loves you and like really listen to her, really listen to him, whatever that voice is. Start with like the self that loved me is saying this to me right now. And you will hear, I promise you, you will feel really seen and you're going to hear an answer that we're all going back to the journey of remembering ourselves. Like we're not too far outside of who we are. You don't have to go and search for who we are. We're all like, it's just a pro, our whole life is a process of remembering that which was made to forget who we are. And so just rem- remember that like, you don't really have to find the answers out there. Like it's powerful to remember like she, she's within. And then start with that and see where that takes you. And, and second, I would really encourage you, like if there are certain people in your life, whether that's a mentor, whether that's somebody you're listening to a podcast, or that's somebody you see on Instagram that just makes you feel some type of way that makes you feel like, I don't know what it is that I want to do or who I am, but this really strikes, like this sparks something that in me. I don't know if it just resonates. Hold on to that. Like you're holding on to that door in the Titanic, that rose is hanging out. Just hold on to. There's certain people in your life that just make you feel super seen and clutch on to that with your dear life. And that's all that matters. Just hang on and start for there. Yeah. And, and third, I would say like, I'm very like, I have strong, strong spirituality practice, talk and meditate to God every day. And it really helps me like no matter what your faith or belief is in, but just remembering like, regardless of what you deemed yourself as or what you, like if you can't, sometimes you just can't hear it. Like calling that in, it's like, who do like, I know I have worth. I know you've given me worth. And regardless of how I feel today, I'm going to leave knowing that you see the worth in me, God, universe, whatever it is. Regardless of like how this is happening, like I receive the word that I was like born with and that you see in me. And that that is just a really like strong practice with God that I had every day in terms of like when all the noise is just too loud, remembering that. Yeah. Thank you, Crystal. This was such an honor. Thank you for having me. I hope I didn't stand you too much, but thank you for You didn't. <laughs> you didn't. I this is gonna help so many women. So many women who who might be struggling with their own thoughts. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Helen. I appreciate you having me on this this show. And it's been really healing for me to know. Yeah. And yeah, you're such a blessing. This this platform that you have and what you're trying to promote out there, thanks you for bringing in inclusive stories and, and narratives and, and perspectives. It's so important that work that you're doing. And I just want to acknowledge you for that too. And thank you from the bottom of my heart. I feel honored. Thank you. Thanks, friend.